Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about listening tours. Ooh. <laughs> I'm excited. <laughs> that was my Jonathan imitation. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> so this is, this. I think it's going to amount to me interviewing you because I'm super curious about this thing that you've mentioned a couple of times on the show and off about... Uh, going around and and kind of interviewing people for a product that, and product that you were thinking about creating. So yeah, um, yeah. So w- w- where's the best place to start here? I guess why? Why would why yeah. would you do something like that? And what what situation were you in mentally when you're like, I need to do this. This is the next step for me. Yeah. So yeah, there's there's a lot of the whys. So one why is, you know, a number of years ago, I think it was seven or eight, I designed a really elaborate program and I got like one person to buy it. <laughs> and, and it was supposed to have a bunch of people to make it work. So, you know, at that point I said, you know, never again. And then the next time that I did something, I did uh, basically, and it was a product that I developed because people were asking me for it. And so then I kind of kept a list of the people who said they were interested. And when I decided to do something about it, I think you've done this. You've talked about doing this as well, where I basically sent them an email and said, this is what I'm thinking about doing. It would look kind of like this and probably price it about this. Is this something you'd be interested in? Does it meet that thing that you said you were looking for? And and I did that. And maybe half of the people who said, yeah, I'm going to buy it, bought it. So I was like, well, it's better than it was before, but I think I can do better with my next, whatever my next thing is. So put a pin in that. And then I think listeners who've been paying attention like really closely since I published the book have heard me talk about women and wanting to do more for women in this space, because it's, as we were talking, you know, before the show, this is like, this is an ideal gig when you can basically package and sell your expertise and, you know, win back, you know, money, time, flexibility, all of that. But here's the thing. I had never done a service or a product designed for just one gender, either Mm -hmm. gender. And so I knew that I didn't, I didn't know what I didn't know. And I also wasn't sure of the language because I had never bought any women only programs. So I didn't really have the experience of being a buyer of them. And even then, that's still how I experience it. That doesn't mean it's the same as as my audience. So that that was the impetus that, you know, I just I'm not sure if this is even a good idea to design something that's just for women. And then Mm. if it is, what should it look like? Mm. How should I price it? How should I deliver it? And I don't know that I thought about this consciously at the beginning, but it definitely happened as I was doing the interviews, is they gave me the words, the the marketing copy. Like right. some of the things yeah. that I wrote in my marketing copy came out of the mouths of the women that I interviewed. Yeah, that's the best. Yeah. So so just to just to like get super clear on it, how much of an idea did you have? Like if you were gonna say on a on a scale of one to ten where one is like totally hazy in 10 is like, I know exactly what I want to do, but I'm just not sure if people want it or how to talk about it for them to connect with the idea. Like on the haziness scale, like how hazy were you? Was it just like, I want to do something for this audience, this this segment of my audience? Or was it like, I've got a pretty good idea? Like, mm-hmm. like, like you didn't, was there anything you knew that it wasn't going to be? Like it wasn't going to be a video course or it wasn't going to be an in-person retreat or you know, like how well, clear were you before you started talking? You know, when you first started asking the question, I was going to say nine and a half. Um, okay. But it, if you compare what I thought it was going to be to what it is, then I would rank the nine and a half lower. It was maybe like yeah. a seven and a half, right? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I did have a clear picture, although my intent was not to go into these calls saying, here's the idea, what do you think? Right. It was to understand, and we can talk about, you know, some of the questions and the kinds of things that I was asking, but it was to really understand what resources they want and currently use to grow their business. Because I I wanted to hear all that. And then then I had kind of a straw man or a straw person uh, for them to react to. 
And of course, as I did more of these calls, that straw straw person changed, right? Mm -hmm. That straw design, um, because I was listening and paying attention. So yeah, it was really an iterative process, I would say. Okay, so that's excellent. So you're pretty sure you're you're actually a little overconfident in what you're going to do, but you 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 felt <laughs> like you knew what you wanted to do. Uh, next step: How did you decide who you were going to talk to? How many people you were going to talk to? Did you do them in groups or one on one? Was it over the phone, video, Zoom? Like just the, I guess I'm I'm curious about the initial mechanics of of it, just because that's a that's a that'd be an unfortunate place for somebody to get stuck and get sort of yeah you know like yeah. So did you how, how did you select how many people did you want to talk to and how did you pick them? Well, the general rule of thumb is if you're kind of getting the same answers from people and you do about 10 interviews and they're really powerful and everybody's saying yes, 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 you probably don't need to do more than 10. Mm-hmm. Um, I wound up doing 13. I hadn't intended to do 13. It kind of worked out that way. And let me explain how I chose them because that's really how I got to 13. So um, I started with the people that I knew because I figured the people who are most interested in this are going to be people who are already connected with me in some way, like primarily on my email list. Um, so the first thing that I did is I, I keep an email folder that I call future clients and buyers, where there's some kind of significant conversation, um, usually via email in reaction to my emails. And so I went and looked at that list and kind of combed that for names. I also went to my advanced book readers and I, because I'd put a lot of effort into putting that list together and some of them were really engaged with the book. And and I'm obviously I should, I think it's obvious. I was only interviewing women. I wasn't talking to men. Yeah, I was going to ask. Um, it, yeah, yeah, you were only talking to people. This is not like you're going to advisors. This is you're going to, or like trusted advisors. This is you going to people who you believe would be a good fit as a buyer. Yes, who I think would be. I mean, I'm, yeah. I wasn't sure because I, I didn't know how they buy these things, if they even buy them. I mean, maybe the people who were in my audience don't buy that stuff. I never bought them. Maybe maybe they're just like me. Maybe they don't buy them either. <laughs> so yeah. So so um, as I went through the list, um, my only intention was I wanted to make sure that they were female. I looked at their website to make sure that what I thought I remembered about them, if I didn't know them well, was still true. Mm-hmm. And um, and then you know and then I reached out to them. And so the um, what I, what I did and I. I'm going to say this is really important is I felt we had to have an actual conversation voice to voice. I didn't care if it was video or not, but I wanted a conversation. And so what I did is when they agreed to meet with me, I sent them a link to my calendar and I gave them in that option, I gave them a choice so they could do a phone call or a Zoom. Mm-hmm. And and I, I like that because not everybody wants to deal with Zoom, especially when you're you know kind of picking their brain on something, and mm. you know they don't have to. What did that outreach message look like? Was it hyper specific to the previous conversation you'd had with the person, or did you have kind of a template that was more you more or less reused? I kind of had a template, um, but there were a couple people that had heard something that I said on the podcast and had said something to me like, hey, if you ever do anything for women, I want to hear about it. Mm. And so for those people, I said, hey, guess what? I'm, I'm looking at doing that and I, you know, I really need some, some input and some insight. You know, would you be open? So, but I would, I would argue that a template is a good idea mm-hmm. and just because it's easier for you. And yeah. it also makes sure that you're thinking of everything right? I I want to have a conversation with you. This is the kind of thing I'd like to have. Um, And I I believe a half an hour is a good um, amount of time for this kind of interview. And they can't, easily you could make this an hour, no question. Um, But what I felt, and I feel this for, you know, for my clients, I've recommended this too. For most people, a half an hour is an easier yes. It's like, okay. And then as long as you're stopping at the half hour point and saying, listen, we're at that point where we stopped, you're still going. I'm happy to continue, but I also want to respect your time and then see what they do. So I had yeah. I had one that went a full hour. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like the interviewee was completely engaged. Like I was basically sitting there listening, writing as fast as I could. <laughs> yeah, that's another question. Did you record these or did you ask if you could record them? Or? I, I didn't record a personal decision. One is I always worry somebody is less likely to be 100% candid if it's recorded. And the other is there's, I almost never listen to recordings. I, I really like to be in the moment and take really good notes. And um, and then I can also use this as an excuse to go back to, and I didn't go back to, well, I take it back. I did go back to everybody at the end, but there were a couple of people I went back to and I said, I just want to check on clarification. You know, you said this um, and I'm thinking about, you know, you said X, I'm thinking about Y. Do those mesh for you or is that like off where you were thinking this would go? That mm-hmm. kind of thing. And just do that over email or that that piece, yeah. I I yeah. didn't have second conversations with anyone. I felt that that was you know over the top. Right. Cool. Okay. So so, I mean, I, I I'm assuming you didn't reveal very much in the e- like how much did you reveal in the email? Because you don't want to lead the witness or anything, but you do need to tell them the premise of the the call, right? So was it just as simple as like, hey, I'm thinking of of putting together a new product for people like you, it kind of thing, or did you give them more information? No, I, I, I basically said, I'm trying to remember the exact words I used, but I said something to the effect that um, I want to understand more about how you use or don't use female-centric options to grow your business. Hmm. That's okay. how I That's how I did it. Because I felt like, I really felt like I was starting from scratch. This wasn't just, oh, here's this great product, sign, you know, <laughs> help me tweak it. It was really, how do you think about this? Because I'd had women tell me that they wouldn't participate in women-only groups. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to get to the heart of that. I wanted to understand, like, what's the motivation? And granted, you know, I only wound up talking to 13 people. So it's not, you could argue that's not a representative sample. But it was a decent sample for, uh, of women who are running businesses in the expertise area who I respect. Mm. Yeah, okay. And so you'd get, so how would it go? You'd, you'd, the phone call time would come, you'd, you'd call them or whatever, they'd enter the Zoom room and... Uh, what would happen next? Well, this will not surprise you, Jonathan. I had... had a spreadsheet. <laughs> no, not a spreadsheet. <laughs> but what I did is I had a series of, I think it was seven questions. And for each one, I created a document where I had their name on it, um, the date of the call, and then lots of space to, to answer those questions. And the reason I did that is because, one, it's really easy to go down a rabbit hole when somebody gives you something. And I wanted to make sure, not that I asked all seven questions because they weren't always necessary, but I wanted to make sure that I stayed on target because I only had 30 minutes and I was only going to get one shot at this. Mm-hmm. And I wanted a place to take detailed notes. And there were a couple of these interviews where I said, who do you look to for for you know these kinds of things? And they just went, I go here, I go there. I'm in this Slack group. I do this, I do this. And I was like, whoa, this is wow. golden. So yeah, <laughs> so I wanted, and I liked being able to go back and knowing exactly who, who who I got my my uh, information from in each one. So yeah, I did it that way. Cool. <laughs> that's not required to do these. You can just have a sheet of paper or you can hit record <laughs> if that's better for you. But for me, I find that I, and this has always been true in my consulting work, is that when I take notes, something about it, it, it it's like I'm hearing and I'm writing and it's all engaging together on a deeper level. So I, I'm a big fan of note taking. Yeah, it's, and I agree with you. There's something about writing actual writing not typing but actual writing that's that focuses me more on the conversation somehow maybe it's you know what it might be it might be because then i'm not looking at the screen which is just so distracting mm-hmm. could be yeah, that. that yeah it could be that and plus i just have a thing like if i'm coaching somebody i'm fine if they want to type like type away mm-hmm. but if somebody is interviewing me unless they're a reporter i don't like to hear that tap 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 yeah. I agree. You know, and so I definitely didn't want to do that. Plus, you know, let's be honest, my typing sucks. It's not <laughs> fast enough. And so, yeah, I feel like I get a whole lot more by that physical act of writing. It's like it closes the loop somehow. Yeah. There is the the downside of writing for me is that sometimes someone will blurt out like solid gold 
and and you can't write it down fast enough and like mm-hmm. you don't catch it quite right that's the but it doesn't happen that often um and it usually and, and you can kind of watch out for it i think like you can you know I'm, when i'm on a, a coaching call with someone like some of my some of my accountability calls my private coaching students like to record them other ones don't they don't care because they're they like I, i'm not yeah. going to go back and listen to these um but some of them record religiously every time and and I don't know if they go back or if they transcribe them or what, to be honest. Um, but I can tell there's a kind of brainstorming that probably wouldn't happen on one of your calls that that I know I'm getting into danger zone where I really need to uh, stop the conversation if one of those gems pops out of somebody's mouth, you know, and just be like, yeah. whoa, whoa, stop right there, stop right there, I have to write that down, you know. Like, oh, no, I've, I've done that. I said, I'm catching up, I'm catching up, I got to get that, I got to get that exactly. And sometimes I'll read it back to them. Like, yeah. I think that's of that as reporter mode. So what you said was, da, 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 da. yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's one of the things that you're going to get out of a call like like yours, you're listening to her, um, is solid gold gems, uh, solid gold gems, that's the <laughs> metaphors, um, just gems of marketing copy, like the, like the, the yeah. raw, unfiltered thought that they have or the the emotion that they're experiencing produced as best they can as words and there's just something magical about about that unfiltered from the um buyers you know that side of the table them saying what they uncovering what they really want and then finding a way to articulate it to you and it just clicks for everybody instantly and you're like oh i feel like when i read i do web uh, website teardowns for ditcherville and I can I usually can tell when someone has has just written like a sales page or you know just kind of in an abstract way without talking to people and just be oh, like oh yeah. I'm going to and I can tell when even when they follow my format and they have like pain dream fix and and they they put pains but I I can tell when they're kind of guessing at the pains because when they're there's something that pops off the page when they're real when someone mm-hmm. who yeah, it's it's somehow it's abstracted and and it's just doesn't feel like it's quite put right, you know, when you didn't get it from the horse's mouth, so to speak. Yes, yes. One of the phrases that came out, and she's a listener, so I know she'll hear this, but I won't say her name in case that that's not okay. But one of the phrases that came out just as she, as she was talking was damsel drama. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, I know exactly what that is. And I was teasing her about it. I said, I'm so using that. And she said, I'm going to use it too. I said, you should. It was yeah, her words. I thing. loved it. It's a thing. Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't know that I would have put those two words together. So so hearing it from other people is super, super helpful. Oh, yeah, so great. Yeah, yeah, I had, I did, I don't remember what it was, but I had a, um, I was working on a sales page for something and I had a bunch of people who were, you know, exactly like you said, there's people on my mailing list who had said, hey, if you ever do a course like this, let me know or a workshop like this. And so I reached back out to a couple and I said, hey, it, it wasn't, I didn't do a listening tour, but I had a, uh, a sales page and I'm like, could you just read down this and like, see what you think? And uh, if, you know, are there are any points where you're confused or if you, and, and one person rewrote just barely, she just changed a couple words in one of the initial, like really important, like not quite a headline, but a really important early subhead. And it, it just totally unlocked it. I was like, oh, that's so much better. And she explained, <laughs> she explained why. I can't I can't remember exactly what it was. It's something to do with profit versus income and like how she thinks of profit and what and I was like, Oh, you're right, your way is so much better. It's wow. And it's, yeah, it's great. And uh it, it so I mean, obviously this whole this whole episode is f- to encourage listeners to do this, to do to get that yeah. feedback so that um it's partially about product design, but it's also about how you're gonna communicate the offer in a way that the right people will recognize that it's for them. I think the questions are important, you know, because that one of the things that happens is that you you really have to look at this as a listening tour, not a selling tour, not even a warm them up to buy tour. This is really like your singular focus in this has to be to get information. Mm-hmm. That's how I think of it. Because the second you get off that, I guarantee your interviewee is going to feel that. Yeah. And if they don't disengage in that moment, they'll disengage soon enough. It's yeah. really, it's all going to be about, you know, getting, say, data, getting information, getting feedback. And so 
one of the places I thought was really important to start is just before we talked, I went back to their website because ironically, sometimes it changes, even if it's just a few days between when you, you chat. And so I would look at their website and my opening question would be something about their positioning, you know, kind of like, you know, do I have this right? This is your ideal client and this is what you're selling them. And, you know, they might say yes or they might say, well, no, I'm actually working on a pivot. But I I wanted to make sure that I understood what they were doing and that I knew for sure that they were an expert. Later on, when I started to narrow it to soloists, because I did not start out with that in mind, Mm -hmm. um, then I looked to make sure that they were a soloist before I actually asked to interview them. Because I got to the point where I only wanted to speak to soloists. Mm-hmm. And that did that come out of the interviews? Or yes. Or was there some other, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, because one of the things that happened is when I, you know, further down in the list of questions, I said, so who do you look to? Like, who do you, who have you either um, looked to for advice, bought advice from, or, you know, who do you think I should look at? And I remember one person giving me the name of somebody that they had worked with and they said, but what happened is once that once you got to about $150,000 in revenue, they believed that you had to start hiring employees. Mm-hmm. And the whole message after that was all about hiring those employees and what you do as a leader. And this woman said, I didn't want to hire employees. I didn't want that. And every place I went, there were it was about being an employee or hiring employees. Yeah, and I I, I immediately connected that to a, a, a space I'd been watching for a while where it definitely was all about employees and mm. not till 150 either till like 50 or 60,000 where you got to start looking at hiring. So um, yeah, that was really powerful. And then um, somebody else, another person after that said pretty much the same thing, but gave me a different example. Mm-hmm. And that's when I realized, huh. And it sent me off in a direction to see, are there any other programs designed specifically for soloist women in the expertise space? And maybe I missed one, but I didn't find any when mm-hmm. I looked. And yeah. so I was like, ah. Ah, now I can see an opening here. Yep. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. It's like I <clears throat> my private coaching is it's the, in the headline it says for successful soloists, but I have taken on some small agencies. And sure enough, you know, the like a, a lot of the conversation revolves around human resources types of things, management, leadership, hiring, vetting new employees, letting someone go, someone quit, uh how do you know, it's it's like a it's I mean, it's obvious when you say it out loud like that, but when I think back over conversations I've had with students who do have employees, it feels like half of the conversation is related to some kind of thing that wouldn't be there if they were soloist. Yeah, yeah. And I I really, as I was doing these interviews, I mean, I was kind of also feeding it back to myself going, um, because that's the other piece of this, because these interviews can take you in a direction to create a product that you don't want to deliver. So I want to be clear about that. Yeah, and, talk about that a little more. Like, what do you mean? Well, let's say that I didn't want to work with soloists. Let's say I, I was really more interested in working with firms. Then oh, I would okay. have to look at that and go, well, I guess I don't want to go in that direction. I Now I need to think about, so who else should I talk to and how should I look at this? That's but the sick. fact is that I, I don't like having those conversations anymore about employees. I mean, it's one thing <laughs> with contractors. It's a different exercise. Employees totally different it's about salaries and offer letters and grievances and all those things and i was like you know been there done that don't really want to have that be a big chunk of my day and so i got really excited at this thought of focusing on soloist women once i realized that it appeared i mean you know i I wasn't sure till i went through all the interviews and actually created something but it appeared that there was a space for this and that there mm-hmm. was some demand, some pent up mm-hmm. demand for it. Okay, so is that part of the? Is that like focusing on solo specifically part of the the two digits of false clarity that you had? Like what 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 were the? Yeah, 
Okay. So when I went into this, I was thinking, okay, this would be for women. And I struggled with something. Here was my assumption going in. I was thinking it would be some kind of maybe a coaching program was what I was thinking originally. Mm -hmm. I wasn't thinking mastermind, but I was thinking coaching. My concern was that every single thing that I looked at, what did they sell in their copy? Content vault, Mm -hmm. content vault. And I'm sitting there going, I don't want to create a content vault unless it's as we go. I have no desire to like, you know, repurpose a bunch of content and load it up and it was so and this is all happening over the course of a few weeks and so I'm like I don't really want to do that but I, I want to find out how important is content mm-hmm. to people and so yeah and I went in thinking coaching I was thinking a price of maybe 5000 and so to like push myself a little bit I said 5000 to 7500 and um, what else so women coaching, content vault, plus some, you know, some meetings and, um, yeah, and a price of somewhere between 5000 and 7500 That was mm-hmm. going in. So the first thing to fall, or well, not fall, but the first thing to add was, okay, let's make this just for soloists. Yep. And I got really excited about that. But just a point to the audience is that if you didn't get excited about the way they're showing you, you need to pivot then. Right. And when I say pivot, you need to like think about how you're selecting the interviewees. Maybe you're just picking the wrong people. And so I would kind of start over and clarify what you want to do to see if there is some interest in the thing that you actually want to do. Right. Well, so so I I want to tease apart the when I when you first said that, I thought you meant like they they would all want like. A video course instead of the thing that you the thing that you wanted to make you know what i mean mm-hmm. so it's like the package right so in your mind the package was going to be some kind of co- or you know or the, the not that you wanted to do this it was going to be some kind of coaching thing it was going to have elements and you kind of knew what the elements were there's this one element mm-hmm. like content vault you didn't really want to have but everybody else seems to do it so how important is it to your particular people am i am i getting that right yeah, and I want to make a point here, though, is that's a mindset. Think about that, because we've we've argued against this, and I've argued against this. I went into this going, oh, well, if I'm going to charge a lot of money for this, I better have a lot of content, yeah. right? <laughs> I better have a lot of stuff in there. And that's what every other program I looked at touted, Content mm-hmm. Vault, over and over and over again. Yep. Yeah, I've seen it, too. Okay, so and I have one. <laughs> <laughs> but... But for a different product, right? So okay, so yeah. you, so what were I? So I feel like I took you down a rabbit hole here. What was what were some of the other questions? Yeah, and then I would ask about you know what are your main priorities right now? Mm-hmm. You know, and and kind of from that I would tease out like how do you spend your time? And because I was making the assumption that they want to grow their business, not everybody did. That was interesting. Um, and then as they tell me about their priorities. Almost always, the first one was, how do I grow my business? Mm -hmm. Or how do I pivot it? You know, it came in different guises. And so then I would dig into that question, right? So what do you struggle with to grow your business? Anything? And then you can, depending on what they say, you can go deeper with that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, tell me more about that is always an interesting way to get more information. Mm -hmm. And... Then what I tried to do, and it would take different guises, because sometimes um, the interviewees would just like, they were off to the races. And all I could do was keep up with the notes. And it was great. I didn't have to give them any direction. They gave me, you know, exactly what I hoped for and more. Um, But, you know, one of the questions you want to ask is, well, what have you, what have you tried to solve that problem? So if somebody said, you know, I'm trying to grow my business and, you know, it's not working. So what have you tried? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, What worked? You know, what didn't well, you know, I did programs and that didn't work or I pivoted to this new audience and I'm not sure if it's working yet. It's still early. Um, And then I would lean into that question about, you know, who do you look to for answers? Like when you're struggling with this and I had so many different answers I mean, it was it was really, really rich. Um, Hmm. Lots of people had had one to one coaches. Um, some they were still using, some they had kind of cycled through for a period of time. Um, there, 
there were a couple books people mentioned, but mostly it was people who they followed. You know, mm-hmm. I, gee, have you heard of so-and-so who really focuses on selling? And I said, no, I haven't. And so I, you know, I checked her out. And have you heard about this one who there's a coaching program, but once you hit about 150, it's all about getting employees. So those were the kinds of things that, um, that I learned about. And I'd heard about a lot of them, but certainly not all of them. And certainly not in the way that they described them. Like Mm -hmm. in the way that they describe their experience with whatever it was. Um, The other thing that was really interesting is that they tended to speak of this chronologically. So they say, Jubal, when I first started my business, I went here. And then Mm. after I got this much under my belt, then I went to this person and I learned this from that person. Like, oh, I learned about not billing hourly from Jonathan Stark. (laughs) That would be an example, right? right? And then I went, you know, and then I did this. So that was really, it's sort of like what um, consultants would call the customer journey, right? Yeah. It was really interesting to see who they use and at what um, uh, inflection points in their career that they use them. I'm just curious how, I mean, you mentioned some books, but is, were, were most of the things that listing percentage-wise, were most of the things that they listed paid things or free things or combination of the two or you know any group things was it all I'm not sure why most of them most of them were paid um i did a second round of interviews i i'm not sure if i'm going to do more or not i've only done three on the second round the second round was a different a, a slightly different demographic and they had more free resources but yeah mm-hmm. most of them were were paid yeah because yeah. i'm curious how many because like i'm imagining a scenario where if just for the listener, if you were doing something like this and and you got this just total category error answer where you're kind of thinking you're going to do this sort of live mastermind group, something like that kind of thing, and everybody is telling you that they bought this video course or they, they went to this conference, they go to this conference mm-hmm. every year, and you're like, huh, you know, like, like somehow in their minds that this group of people that you selected to talk to doesn't see the the package in your mind that that may or may not be helpful to them right appears not to be the thing that they think they need because they're looking you know they're they're googling for you know i don't know uh videos or courses or Mm -hmm. or maybe the price that seems reasonable to them is in the three digits not the four digits or the five digits so yeah so the I guess the point I'm getting at is if I was if I were getting information like that back, I might think like, oh, maybe there's another product here, or uh, maybe my my idea is just gonna you know die on the launch pad, and this other idea, which wasn't what I was planning, it wasn't how I was planning to package it, but I could. So mm-hmm. you might, I think there's probably a tendency to want to lead the witness if you were getting a lot of information that w- was kind of like invalidating your idea yeah uh, there it can be tempting to lead the witness and be like well but wouldn't it be better if you were talking one-on-one with someone oh or, yeah you know. definitely can't do that right yeah. so instead and it's, it's, it's like, hard yeah it's hard not to do that but the other thing is you're you're also potentially missing useful information which is like oh these these people want a workbook they don't want a coach i can yeah. make a workbook right yeah 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 absolutely and that's the thing it's it's it I, i'm you can't see me, but I'm holding my hands in terms of scales, you know, because it's you can um, use this information in so many ways. But the key is to make sure that the information you have is valid, i.e. what you're um, pulling from this interview is actually what they meant. Yeah. And sometimes people do use code words and you have to kind of try and figure out what that means. Hmm. And um, that's not always easy. <laughs> Do you mean like they they just sort of use a vague term? Well, no. Somebody kept telling me that the program couldn't be glamorous, hmm. and and that word was used I think three times, and I didn't really understand because in my head I had like an idea of what was glamorous, hmm. and and so I tried getting at the question different ways, and and basically glamorous appeared you know when I kind of asked for a definition it's that it needs to not be all sizzle 
Uh-huh. And I was like, okay, okay, that's, I mean, you know, that's reasonable. I just, but I, yeah, I felt like it was a code word and I wasn't understanding what that meant. Yeah. <laughs> like, what that, do you that's mean exactly? Yeah. Right. Great Should example. I not comb my hair or is it, <laughs> you know, is it something else? And, <laughs> and I think, you know, as, as I sat back, cause I did, I soaked on all of these interviews, but as I sat back with that particular one, I realized that I shouldn't say I realized I assumed I should say, I assumed that probably they'd had some experiences with some of the programs that they bought that were kind of, you know, all sizzle and no steak. So, yeah. yeah. So I totally get that. Right. And that's how I looked at it. Whatever feedback they gave me was valid. My job wasn't to say, oh, you're wrong. I looked at my job as saying, well, tell me more. How Mm -hmm. do you think about that? Why do you think that way? What made you think that way? So, yeah. yeah, There's another another thing that Another thing that you said, but I want to call out, um, is asking them about how they've basically how they've tried to solve this in the past, or more specifically, like what what have you purchased in the past to solve this? Like if you wanted to specifically mm-hmm. get, you know, what yeah. have you invested in to solve this problem? They can answer that truthfully and accurately. Versus, you know, would you buy something like X, Y, and Z in the future to solve this? Like that answer is worthless. Like whatever they say in answer to like what they'll do in the future is nothing compared to what did they do in the past because it's right. it's just there's just so so I mean the mom test is a great book to read on this particular aspect of how everybody just lies to your face and says this is a great idea because they yeah, want to be right. nice like they want to be nice like <laughs> right. oh yeah I'd probably buy that I'd probably buy that yeah go go for it it's like okay no, you yeah. know don't do it like well that. and that and that's kind of what happened for me when I did that email um, product where I said, oh, okay, so you've asked for this, I'm going to do this, it looks like this, what do you think? So, yeah, all right, maybe half of those people that said they wanted it bought it. Um, you know, that happens. That's why right. it's so helpful to do this face-to-face because in every single one of these conversations, there was not a person that I didn't feel was being genuine mm. and giving me, you know, their feedback. If they thought something was stupid, they said so. <laughs> and that's what I wanted. That's what you want. You know, if yeah. you're going to do this, you want these people who are, you know, in your ideal um, client and buyer space and care enough about whatever the bigger picture is that they will talk to you and give you their opinions. Right. Yeah, that's the whole point, right? Yeah. So yeah. Okay. So um, are there? It sounded like you had quite a few, like six or seven questions on the list. But so a, a lot of it's like um, these big open-ended questions, and and then tell me more about that. Um, if you if you needed to jump around and you kind of exhausted that, like, did you have other good questions that were like super useful? Oh well, I'll tell you the question that I got the most gold with was um, I asked about their specific experiences with online groups of women. Hmm. Like, what did you join? Um, you know, and I'd already asked the why question, and then I said, "Well, what was it like? Like, what was the experience like for you?" And one of the things I learned from that was so helpful. And somebody said, "Listen." I have been in a number of these. And what happens is once you get past the front gate, they slot you based on your income or your revenue. And if I'm making $200,000, they put me in a room with shop owners earning $200,000. Well, here's the thing. If I'm making $200,000 as an expert, I'm taking home a big, big, big chunk of that 200000 A shop owner who's bringing in 200000 and has a partner and four employees uh, is nothing. bringing home, yeah, is bringing home a very small amount. And then, of course, you know, when you dig into that conversation, you can find out that the, the conversations are different. In addition to the, you know, you've got somebody who's basically um, feeling a lot of poverty at mm-hmm. $200,000. And then you've got somebody who has all these employee issues Mm-hmm. and who's going to going to grow the business through adding a location or an employee it's a mismatch of Ugh. of business challenges and you know if i hadn't already decided i can't remember the order that these came in but if i hadn't already decided to focus on soloists that conversation made me do it yeah yeah cuz i mean that would just be so frustrating um and then the other thing that was really interesting that came out of this is that the interviewees were very, very specific about revenue. And they said, I want to know, I don't need to know the revenue of each person in the room, but I need to know what the parameters are. 
So, and the, I, I think the one I came up with was 200 to 450 or 500. I forget what the top end was um, on the first round of this. And, and they said, because if I'm earning two, I want to go into this room knowing, okay, I'm at the low end. Right. I'm the I'm the beginner from the revenue standpoint. If I'm at 450, I want to know I'm at the top end might not join, you know, if what I'm looking for is to be pushed to the next level. But I need to know where I am so that so that I'm confident that this is the group for me. Right. And I mean, I it's really helpful feedback. Right. And there's so many I mean, there's so many facets of just a business in general, like 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 you said, if employees and a shop owner, and you you know you run like a, a hair salon versus someone who's you know a, a speaker, you know author, yeah. speaker, consultant, and it, there's just like you know which facets are important to in this context, which facets of you, person sitting across the table from me, what are the facets of your business that you feel are important to slot in with other people? So like like and it, clearly one of the things that the biggest one it sounds like. Was that they wanted to have like a, a revenue band? Really, honestly, it's more of a profitability band, it's profit band, because that's the real. Yeah, yeah. The th- revenue isn't the number; it's how much you keep. Yeah. So right, but all soloists are all going to be keeping like ninety percent, probably. Exactly. Yeah, you know, after tax or whatever. But yeah, so there's like so the overhead's so low that revenue and, and profit's almost the same thing. Um, yeah. All right. Cool. Very cool. All right, yeah, I mean, so you then, start to think about that because it's people in the expertise space. So we, we're not, I mean, if we're making products, they're usually, you know, digital products. We're not like, you know, taking glue guns and making things. And we're not worried about, I mean, you and I've had this conversation offline, you know, not worried about opening a shop. And I mean, oh, I mean, I went through this with my hairstylist when she opened her shop. It's amazing the amount of decisions that, that you have to make and the things you worry about day to day. It's just a very different exercise. And we tend to want to be with other people who are like us, but where we can learn from the things that they did that didn't work as well as the things that they did or that did. Right. That's easy for you to say. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, okay. So, oh, oh. well, I was just going to say there's, there is one more question I think that I would recommend because it's kind of interesting and it's, it's like the magic wand question. You know, like if if you could wave a magic wand and solve this, what would that look like? And what they'll tell you is that's the end state. So you'll hear words that describe how they feel when this thing is solved. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a a really helpful, if if nothing else is helpful for your marketing copy, but it really helps you to think about what's the experience for this person if they if they buy this thing from you how they come in and feel and how they feel on the on the back end mm-hmm. great okay so you, you run through these interviews you get a bunch of solid gold you refine the audience or the target market or the ideal buyer and you um, perhaps refine the product itself like the offering so like the content mm-hmm. vault like we never looped back to the content vault but uh you know, it sounded like it sounded like that ended up not being valuable to people, and they just they wanted something a little different. Uh, the or the just best quote deal. I got, the best quote I got on that was from somebody who said, "I don't need more content. I know what to do. I'm just not doing it." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the the content vault went away. But the um, the th- the other thing that came out of of these for me, it really solidified some thinking I'd been doing for a while on looking at my client base for for one to one coaching, and that is that. And again, this is just for the people in my kind of circle. But um, that first, what I learned when I sat back and looked at this is is if the person hadn't really hit their first $100,000 on a regular basis, they were more interested in not so much content, but they they wanted more, like they wanted more handholding, they had more questions. As people started to get in, you know, in the high 100s, the low 200s, then it was, I want some people. I want some peers. That's what I'm missing yep. is that experience. It wasn't about, oh, let me tell you the five ways you can brand yourself. <laughs> they don't care. 
(laughs) They want to be in that room solving their specific problems with a safe cohort. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Okay. So, so you uh, got some good marketing copy out of it. You refined your ideal buyer. You tweaked the offering itself. So once doubled you were, the price, doubled oh, the price. Oh, interesting. <laughs> and that was because yeah, I don't want to skip that. Yeah, that's that's important. So I went in, I went in thinking five thousand, um, but for what I was thinking, which was a you know this offering kind of a group coaching thing with building content over time. And I, I said, I made it a range because I thought, well, I got to at least put some play in here. And the first person I said it to said, too low, wouldn't buy it. I said, <laughs> I tell me that. more, <laughs> right? Tell yeah. me more. And what she said was, I would worry at the $5,000 price point that the room was going to be filled with people who were not my peers. Yeah, same problem, right? And it's the, it, but it's a price selection or price qualifier. It, Exactly. And then yeah. later, I had people tell me that people who for whom $5,000 would be a lot of money saying, well, I wouldn't buy it because it would be too expensive. So I believe had I just introduced what I was thinking about, it would have been crickets. Uh-huh. So yeah, so I did. I changed I changed a bunch of things and I doubled the price. Mm-hmm. And and when I when I did put it out there, one of the interviewees, because uh, I, I sent a draft of the copy, to these interviewees and said, you know, if you have a moment and you want to take a look, I'm open to feedback. And she wrote back and said, price is still too low. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently she's in the yeah. higher end of the 200 to 450 range. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So after you conduct the interviews, you kind of marinate on it a bit. You make some changes to the sales page, like you just said. What What do you do after that? Is there like follow up with those folks or did you say okay I've, I've got my marching orders i know what to do like what happened next in the in on the listening tour part obviously you you know you go yeah. and watch the thing and all that but like from the listening tour part was there follow up with the people other than what you've mentioned so far um yeah, yeah. um it, the follow up the formal follow up was basically a wow thank you message cuz literally i mean i was so grateful and I sent that immediately after we had the conversation. And I said, if you think of anything else you want to share with me, you know, just let me know. So mm-hmm. that was that was the the sort of closing. But then the other piece that I did was once I put the copy together in draft form, I sent it to uh, I didn't send it to every one of the 13. I sent it to those that I thought would be in the demo. Because yep. in the process of narrowing this, you know, the demo changed. Right. So, yeah. So I sent it to each of them and said, you know, if you have any comments. And and they did give me comments. Gave me quite a few. And um, it was interesting. Not so much on the word choice. Actually, now that I think about it, it was interesting because I did use their words. So the word choice wasn't so much. It was um, I had dropped the um, the the lowest uh revenue point from 200,000 to 150 mm-hmm. after talking to more people and they were like nope that needs to be two yeah. it needs to be two not 150 I'm like okay I got gotcha, you I got gotcha. you that's what we talked about so I changed that um oh the other thing was um I was originally planning to interview each of the women in the the program and basically make it like a private podcast so that it was a way for them to really learn about the other women in the group. Huh, that is an interesting and, idea. Yeah, I, th- I like the idea because I felt like part of this is with a mastermind, you know, it's all about the cohort. Right. You know, if the cohort's not right, it doesn't work. And they, they have to get to know each other pretty quickly. Well, the feedback I got was, wait a minute, that's going to take me, you know, 8, 10, 12 hours to listen to. No, that's too much. And so I thought about it. And what I decided to do instead was I had, they get four one-to-one coaching calls with me over the course of eight months. So one of the calls was before we all met. And I did that intentionally so that I could understand what their goals were and help them to articulate it so they could get the most out of the group. But also it helps me as the facilitator to make sure that, you know, we're bringing all parts of them to this conversation. Mm -hmm. And so I did that instead. Yeah. Yeah. So I did make a few changes based on their feedback. Yeah. I love that. Right. But like you said, you're, you're still way above the hazy mark. So 
like, uh, um, so to loop this back and, and hopefully make it useful, mo most useful to the listener, the dear listener, how would you, how certain do you think you need to be to start doing something as formal as you did? You know, like, would you, let's say, mm -hmm. let's say you were like way down on the hazy scale. So like, like you're looking at your product ladder and you're like, I don't have anything at the $7,500 range. So let me just get some people on the phone and just ask them the exact same questions you did, but with absolutely no idea what I'm going to sell. Like, mm -hmm. would, would that be a waste of everyone's time, do you think? Or like, do you feel like you need some hypothesis to validate or... How sure do you feel like you need to be before you would do something, you know, like get 10 people on the phone for a half an hour each? Well, I I guess I would say you're likely to get the, the best results if you have a hypothesis. So on the hazy scale, maybe you're at a four or a five. Yeah. Now, it's not that you can't do it without. I mean, you know, focus groups do that all the time, right? But without something, it can leave you unfocused. Now, if you're, let's say you're a consultant and you're interviewing clients, um, you know, for a living, like mm -hmm. I did that for many years, like I, I'm always interviewing and, and, and um, analyzing information. If that's sort of second nature to you, you could probably do it with, with a haze factor of one. <laughs> you probably could because you would be, you would direct the questions, you would open them up and say, what are these things you're looking at? Okay, and what would you pay for that kind of a solution? I mean, you could absolutely have that kind of a, of a conversation. Right. Um, I think it's, you know, for most people, it's easier if you have something in mind, even if it's rough. The thing is, though, is that it can't be firm. You can't go in with that as your uh, your North Star. Like, oh, I've got to convince them that they want yeah. this. Oh, yeah. That's death, right? You can't do That's that. That's wasting everybody's time. Yeah. Yeah. It's gross. They'll clam up. It'll feel salesy. And it won't get you any good information. It won't get you any sales. It's just the worst. So it's almost like you want it. You, you don't want to be too sure, right? But I, for me, to schedule, to go through the exercise, which is non-trivial. I mean, that's hours and hours. Right. Like organizing it, actually executing it, do, do all the notes and, you know, just like synthesizing it after. That's a lot of, it's, well, I mean, a lot of work compared to not digging ditches, but it's like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's uh, for me to do something like that, I would, I would want to have probably with me, what would happen is one or more doesn't have to be a hundred, but like one, two, even just like a, a single digit number of people asking for something like, you know, you know, we, like we might mention something on the show or I might mention something on my email list or somebody gets an idea in Slack and other people see it and they're like, they pile on like, yeah, yeah, yeah that would be great. I would buy, you know, I had someone's buy it all said, what did he say? I'll buy anything from you that starts with five day challenge. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay. Touche. Um, yeah. And, uh, and another, you know, and I, I mentioned the email, daily email thing, because it's like the next up on my workshop. I have a list of workshops that I'm making this year. And I mentioned it on the show and I had, you know, uh, not a million people, but like a half a dozen people, maybe emailing me, like mm -hmm. sign me up for that now, but just put my email on the list for that. And so, so I'm like, I don't have it like the curriculum's not put together. I have an idea that it would be this five day challenge format, but how would I actually do something meaningful? for people who want to write a daily mailing list in five days, is that even humanly possible? And right. So, so, so there's a lot of haze. I'm, I'm probably at a four, like I know mm -hmm. what I want. I know what I need to teach them, but I know something like this is more about the practice than the knowledge. It's about the, it's about the skill, not the knowledge. And so it's not just like, I can't just communicate the information to them. They have to like put in the, it's weird. Right. So I don't know quite, I would put myself at a four on the product itself a four or five on the product itself and and i'm pretty sure about the buyers because mine mine is a lot more uh you know it's basically people on my list right because yeah so it's known it's known so it would be interesting to you know to go do that and and get because there's it's so malleable right now it's at that stage where it's incredibly malleable i could do it a dozen different ways and i i really I don't care which one. I just want the one that's going to be the most effective. So it would be an interesting thing to do, a listening tour and go around and and kind of even just asking people if they've ever tried to 
do daily before or if they've tried to even blog daily any kind of published writing on a daily basis uh, if they ever tried to do that or a writing habit where like you you know you you sat down for 30 days in a row and wrote a book that would count in my opinion so if you ever tried to do it before what did it do for your business why did you stop and get the answers to all those questions and the sales page would write itself it would it would be like you know type up the notes there you go yeah, I think the question with the, with like that specific one is that you have to decide what you want to get out of it. Like if what you want is copy for the sales page, you really want to get inside their heads, great use. If what you're trying to figure out is what's the best way to teach it, sometimes that's just, you know, you just got to do one, you know, yeah. whether you want to call it a pilot or not and, and try you know, you can get some input on it, but it, to me, that's less about selling, although you're going to get sales data out of it, but it's more about the, how do you learn? How are you going to stick to this? Like, what can I do to make you work your way all through this, through mm. the, the entire course? Right. Yeah, you're probably right because, because any question I would ask about, about how it should be organized would kind of be them trying to read the crystal ball instead of me trying to read the crystal ball. And it's like, I'm the one that's done it, so I'm probably got a better crystal ball, <laughs> right? It's like about what yeah. keeps you keeps you at the the task. Anyway, I don't I don't yeah. want to I don't want to like pull the the whole episode in that direction. But the the thing I was getting at, I was trying to come up with an example where where someone listening would know I'm ready to to do a listening tour. Like I've got an idea that's it's either they have amazing interview skills and they're just and they're at a one on the haziness scale and they're and they're just going to be able to create you know, find an idea for a particular group and you know pull it all together that seems like a rare individual to me um, and on the higher end you don't want to be you don't want to be so rigid in your thinking about exactly how you're going to package it and who it's going to be for exactly and then just go out and try and validate that or because or, it'll just turn yeah. persuasive and that'll be gross so you want to be you want to be kind of uncertain is the point i'm getting at you want to have a lot of unanswered questions and have a yeah. general sense of it, but you don't, I just want people to not feel like they need to know exactly what it's going to be and have a sales page written and be bouncing ideas no. off of people. I think, you know, the number one criteria is you have to be genuinely curious about mm. what your target audience thinks. I mean, because I have to say, this didn't feel like work to me. Mm. I had so much fun. Like it was ridiculous how much fun I had. There wasn't even even when they said stuff that was like, really? Like it was fun because I was getting inside somebody's head. I was getting inside an ideal buyer's head and they were giving me pure gold. Mm. I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, have... th and the surprises are amazing. You know, when they surprise you, you're like, what? Really? Mind blown. Right. It was, it was awesome. Yeah, and it's like bullet dodged, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, let me, so let me just add one piece to this. So, you know, I mentioned that I I've started a round two. So so after I designed this mastermind, which has no content, and is all about the cohort, and my role is really you know that of pulling them together and facilitating and coaching them one to one and you know facilitating them as a group. So then I was like, all right, so. That's the that's the women who are earning, you know, $200,000 plus, and maybe I'll do one for the $500,000 pluses. But what about everybody else? Like, they need help, too. Right. So I set up and I had um, I had some applications that I unfortunately couldn't accept because they weren't quite where they needed to be revenue wise. And so I asked some of those, would you be interested in, you know, letting me interview you about your thoughts about this. And so again, I've only done three, but I went into it going, you know, well, I'm sure because they haven't met the revenue requirement that they're really going to, they're going to want the content vault. They're going to want the, I know they're going to want the content vault. And I don't know that I want to do a content vault, but I want to see like, is there something I can do for these women? I, I did three interviews. They all said exactly the same thing. We oh. don't want content. And then I said, okay. I said, but let's, and, and one of them, you know, actually three of them used different words, but one of them specifically said, I want what you designed already. I want that mastermind and I want the coaching and I want that. And I said, okay. I said, but um, if I can ask if your revenue is you know, over a hundred or under, 
It's under. I said, okay, so it's $10,000, assuming the price doesn't change. How would you feel about that big a chunk of your revenue going towards one program? Mm -hmm. I would spend it. And what I also learned was some of them had already spent it on coaches that got them to their first hundred. So Uh again... My assumptions, oh, I'm sure they're going to want content. No, we don't want content. We want a mastermind. We want exactly what you've already designed. We just want it for us. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Now, again, only three. I I have to decide if I'm going to do more interviews since, um, yeah, but uh, I probably will do a few more. Yeah, that is fascinating. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and think yeah. of all the time you saved not not doing that content ball. <laughs> and I didn't want to do it. So it's yeah. great. <laughs> yeah. And again, you know, I feel like like we should stamp a warning label on this is that, you know, you're going to hear what you're going to hear. You know, you, you, you won't hear what I heard. If you were to do this, you know, they, they're not going to hear what you would hear. It's it's each of these is unique to your audience the questions you ask them, and the thing that you're looking at creating at the end of it. And it's, mm-hmm. like I said, it's um, it's pure gold. Yes. Great. Fabulous. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Happy to do so. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>